y'all welcome to another episode of the good news cast sweet uh today we're talking we're taking a break we are next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to uh how when if to leave a church yeah okay we'll finish that series today we're taking a break and we're gonna talk about uh jeff's new book jeff put together long two how many years oh man it's almost like it's been it's actually been brewed since my first year at seminary so but yeah the process of actually writing this was about two years two years um so and it's a how do you explain this it's a it's a cajun cookbook right (laughs) and it focuses on breakfast (laughs) so i'm just kidding um chip cookies so this, uh, uh, you, um, th- this was your work at Truett Seminary here, here in Waco. Yes. You then turned into a book. Yes. You've got the copy. Yeah, uh, I got it You've yesterday. got a physical copy. And to explain to our listeners, when we say book, what we're talking about is like an extremely long blog in physical form that you can put on a shelf. That's what we're talking about. Um, it's an Instagram post that's with words and it's super long Man, and informative. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, physically, you can hold it in your hands. Um, yeah. So you, you have the copy. We're going to get a bunch of copies at the church. I'm really excited yeah. to be able to celebrate you and the accomplishment um, Thanks, yeah. uh, as a church. And I know our church will be really stoked to to celebrate and to buy the book and all that. So... Uh, I'm going to let you mainly riff on uh, the the book today. I've uh, you've taught the content. I know yeah. the content. Yep. You've taught it here. I use it um, mm-hmm. weekly, putting together my Bible teachings to our youth. Mm-hmm. When I put together sermons, like I am this week, I use it. Um, and I might even circle back to when I say that to me, that's a big deal because when I lock on to this is how I prepare sermons is what's comfortable yeah to have someone come in and yeah teach me something that I latch on to yeah you know it's kind of like not not that I think like oh I know how to preach a great sermon but no it's but like, that's a, that's once you third, get comfortable yeah no I know exactly you don't want to change mean, without a doubt it's like over my dead body yeah that's a great compliment but I locked on to this almost immediately yeah. it, it was very like there was some intuitive natural oh okay yeah it makes sense to build a house like this yeah you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, talk about the book. It's called yeah. The Gospel Arc mm-hmm. um, by Jeff Hatton. Uh, why Why did you write it? Why did you start getting into the content of it? W- what was some of those, uh, the motivations, the driving? W- yeah. Were you trying to solve a problem you saw? Yeah. Was it a problem in your own life you were trying to solve? Yeah, I th- it's, that's so good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, Colin, that's really that's what i i like to hear that probably more than anything else about the book for preachers and communicators to be like oh yeah intuitive because i mean seriously we do go back all the way to when i'm at seminary uh we even go back before that um it it goes back to uh i am on the beach with uh i want to say 10 to 15 mixed gendered 20 something totally inebriated half dressed you know 20 something year olds and uh i'm talking to this them. is your family you're talking about is this a family <laughs> vacation <laughs> no i'm actually i'm a what am i yes i am yeah i am 
No, 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 no. I'm married at this time. Yeah, I'm married at this time. Um, they uh, are students on the beach. I'm at a, a, a training project for uh, college students that come from all over the world and the campus ministry I was a part of, and uh, heavy on evangelism, discipleship. Uh, and so I'm talking to these uh, 20-somethings about their need for Jesus uh, and in the middle of that conversation, uh, absolutely intrusive. I mean, it's not anything that I uh, was <laughs> planning on thinking about, but I got to their need for Jesus in this presentation. And, and we're talking about everything, uh, everything from uh, what about other religions and how can we trust the Bible? I mean, you can imagine all the questions that a college student has and that we've all had about Jesus, about the Bible, the claims of Christ, uh, the relevancy of this personally, I mean, societally, culturally, all those things were thrown into this conversation. But in the midst of it, uh, it was this sense of, uh, well, Jeff, as a Christian, why do you need Jesus? And uh, that intruded upon this gospel presentation with them. And so eventually it wrapped up after about an hour uh, we weren't intending to talk that long, but they were really engaged and really wanting to know more and kept asking me questions. So I stayed there as long as we could. But then I, as I'm heading back, I could not shake that uh, because I could not figure out how Jesus avoided being a rearview mirror Jesus, just someone that you needed in the past, you know, as the unbeliever come to know Christ. But then as a Christian, I, I didn't see how Jesus was a, a present presence and power, uh, need, had no idea. Um, and so uh, I thought that you needed Jesus to become a Christian, and then you explore the world of Christianity, all the different theological stripes, all the different traditions, all the different personal experiences to find the front windshield for your car in the Christian life. Uh, and there are way too many options for front windshields from surrenders to yieldings to uh, secrets access points into the holy spirit um techniques spiritual disciplines uh endless strategies and ways of trying to activate god in your life and uh, i was exhausted by it all so i would say from that point on uh this became an inception of my need for jesus uh, and then when uh, I did go to seminary uh, and a professor there, a guy named Dr. John Hanna, kept talking about the gospel as if it was the oxygen for the Christian uh, and the oxygen for a pastor, and I couldn't figure that out. And that's, I've already mentioned how I went up to him after class and just said, Dr. Hanna, you keep talking about the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel. That's all you talk about in here. Um, what are you talking about? Are you talking about evangelism? Uh, Any cocked his head, and he said, Jeff, do you know what my philosophy of teaching is? And I said, no, Dr. Hannon. And he says, if you throw a brick into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. Uh, and that's literally, I said, are you, are you calling me a dog? Uh, and so began him explaining this grammar of the gospel that I hadn't heard before. Usually the gospel was a reductionistic, uh, canned uh, presentation for the unbeliever, uh, but as he began to unpack this grammar of the gospel, it actually began to reach the exhausted roots of my being uh, in ways that nothing else has. And believe me, I tried everything. I tried 
everything. <laughs> uh, so from that point on, um, Nancy and I uh, were going to go back overseas, but we had got she got pregnant and we couldn't for a year. So I said, it's time to go to seminary. So the moment I landed at seminary, I wanted to know because I was on this, uh, how do you um, read the Bible uh, in which you discover Jesus and display Jesus from beginning to end in the whole communication process. And I'm talking about a textual Jesus in that text, right? I'm not talking about uh, this UFO Jesus that flies above the text that the text doesn't see coming and God doesn't even see coming in this text. You know, this UFO Jesus that, that flies around in your imagination, you just kind of bring him up in the middle of your communication piece. And I'm not talking about a systematic Jesus either, you know, who saves the sermon with theological accuracy at the end of the sermon. Like you just preach this text and you're like, oh yeah, I've got to have Jesus come in. So you keep telling this boring, abstract Jesus, systematic Jesus from the whole Bible that's so boringly repetitive. It's informative, but it's not transformative, right? Not talking about that either, which our tradition's very, very uh, rich on. And then probably the most uh, infamous Jesus of all, the Pelagian Jesus, the ultimate fixer-upper, where you have the whole Bible to show you and tell you how to self-improve, how Jesus can improve your life, right? You've got character studies, you've got biblical principles, you've got timeless truths. Again, your personality, your theological stripe, there's so many ways that you can find a way to activate God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit in your life and live this Christian life. Uh, I wanted Jesus in that text, a textual Jesus uh, that has the power uh, and the authority of God's Word, right? And so I wanted to know how to do that. And so everything from original language studies, Greek or Hebrew, to theology classes to uh, actual preaching classes. I was trying to figure that out. And so it's been a long road. And immediately, I mean, I, this book has had a million, those of those of you out there that have been a part of any of the apprenticeship or training that I've done will know that there are seeds in this thing that have been there from the beginning, but this thing has been an ongoing thing for 20-something years. Uh, and then finally, when I went to get my doctorate, I, I was like, I need to codify this this way of reading and communicating the scriptures. And so that's how this book came out. It gave me concentrated time. It gave me a little more academic time to think about it. Uh, and then needed to come out of the academic world and, and again, make it intuitive, like you said. So it comes out of a, the experience of actually trying to preach Christ and all the scriptures. And it comes out of the primal need that I personally have and that I believe we all have uh, for Jesus and his salvation, um, that we have this addiction that I think is the heart of sin, which is trying to be our own savior, to be godlike. Um, and so those, that experience in ministry, which has been all over the world, uh, to my own primal need for Jesus, and then not knowing what that means or looks like in the Bible and reading the Bible and communicating him, to actually intentionally trying to figure it out, put it to practice in 20-something years, uh, and then get to a place where I think uh, there's a template for it 
there's an established template in practice, an established template in principle or thought. Um, and that's how this book came to be. So uh, bottom line, um, I was talking to someone yesterday, two people yesterday, and we were saying, well, how do you reach Waco? And what's the greatest need in the church today? And uh, what actually activates us? You know, what, what actually has power? And um, I'm more convinced than ever uh, that people more than ever need to be spoken back to life again by the power of Jesus in that text. Um, that that's the greatest need. Uh, that's the, the power uh, that reaches and renews hearts and lives and homes and communities and neighborhoods and cultures and this country. So uh, I don't think there's any other like grander, deeper secret out there to seeing lives change and people reached and people renewed. Uh, then we really need to be spoken back to life again. We need to hear, let there be light. We need to hear Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. Lazarus, come out. I need to hear that. I, If I don't hear this gospel or this good news, then I will easily turn into uh, the Pelagian Jesus. Mm-hmm. I will easily run to Pelagian Jesus and just try to use him, use the Holy Spirit, use my Christianity to uh, help me justify myself or help me save myself Mm -hmm. um so that's the kind of the the pulse that beats behind it's the backstory behind the book so heavy on experience Mm -hmm. uh personal as well as ministry experience as well as intentional thought and trying to uh put something together that makes sense and that's helpful to the communicator to the one that wants to actually speak people back to life again. So um, there's so much talk. It's it's become very popular to talk about gospel-centered this, gospel-centered that, Christ-centered this, Christ-centered that. And one thing that I've uh, seen um, with that is that uh, sometimes you don't necessarily know what that means, right? right? And so... You can kind of tell me, I, I think it's an affair, it's a fair description of this book and the content that it really um, kind of gets into the nuts and bolts, if you will, of understanding how this scripture or this story in the Bible or this passage really does point to Jesus as opposed yeah. to just kind of saying it does. Right. Um, like I'm thinking of if you are building a house uh, and... Um, and you've got the foundation pour, you've got all this wood, you've got a frame, you've got all the materials, and you're going along, going along, or you're putting together a puzzle or whatever it is. And and the instructions say, every piece of this puzzle that you see fits somewhere and builds the puzzle. Every piece of wood goes somewhere for the purpose of building the house. But the farther you get along, you know, you're like putting the roof on, you're putting in uh, the the dishes in the kitchen cabinets, the whole thing is done, and you have this whole stack of wood, and you're like, I was told that this was all like house-centered. Like every piece of wood builds the house, but I don't know where those go, right? Like I think the puzzle's done, but I don't know where all these pieces go. I think sometimes that's how the gospel-centered stuff can come across. Like I'm told it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, gospel-centered, da-da-da-da. Yeah. But I don't really understand how this passage points me to Jesus, teaches me about Jesus, 
uh, or fits into, it just doesn't seem to apply. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that just when you think like big idea, uh, that it kind of gets into the, the nuts and bolts of trying to put some of that yes. uh, together yes. for people. And, uh, and, and obviously it's geared towards as well, communicators, even getting into the nuts and bolts of how to study the scriptures and then even start to really kind of form, um, a message, whether it's a sermon or uh, Bible study teaching or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, like I said, I use it, even though I'm, I'm preaching like little sermonettes to the youth, you know, like on right. Sunday mornings and even five minute sermonette things on Wednesday nights, but I use it. It helps me start in the text. So a lot of the, the book and what it teaches, I mean, you can almost stop partly through the steps, right? the rounds, just to study yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, or you keep going through the rounds and the steps and, um, and then put together a message. Anyway, uh, yeah. I had a lot of thoughts as you were talking, but that was one of them. It kind of just gets into the, te- the the color and the flavor and the texture of really what it means to say the Bible's all about Jesus. Yes, yes. It, it, is, it is an intentional way. Does the Bible do that? Does the Bible communicate Jesus from front to back? Um, and if so, how? What does mm-hmm. that look like and what does that mean? I think you're exactly right that uh, we seem to have, at least in our conversation and in our grammar, that Jesus is important, uh, and even experiencing Jesus is important. Um, And what I'm fully obsessed with is experiencing Jesus with the Bible. Uh, To me, that's the only safe place to experience him. Uh, The other places... Uh, how do I know, as Dr. Haney used to tell us, how do you know it just wasn't indigestion? Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, today uh, we could say that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit could be attached to a church tradition or the Holy Spirit could be attached to an anointed individual. Or the Holy Spirit and like evangelicalism seems to be attached to biblical principles or attached to one's personal inner experience. Uh, but the Holy Spirit and the Word, <laughs> it seems to be a foreign idea to, right. find, to find power or to experience Jesus or to experience God right. or to encounter Him, right? And so the, the, the presupposition behind this uh, gospel arc, uh, preaching that experiences Jesus with the Bible, that's what we're after. That's mm-hmm. what I'm after. Uh, and I think it's not because I've finally found the way to activate Jesus in the Bible, but because I actually believe that the scriptures is communicating uh, that the divine energies uh, are in the Bible. The divine energies and divine life are in the gospel message. So that that's the power of God for salvation, a comprehensive salvation. So it's almost like, you know, you, you know, we could use the image of just if you are a carpenter and I'm not, if you're a handyman, which I am not, I hate all that stuff, but I'm told you want to cut with the grain of the wood. You don't want to cut against the grain of the wood. Uh, I think most of our Bible reading and most of our Bible communication is cutting against the grain of the, mm-hmm. the Bible. We're not cutting with it. Uh, to cut with it is to read it uh, in light of uh, its original historical message, actually embedded in that original historical message, is the ultimate uh, message of the whole Bible. 
And so that's where this gospel art comes from. It comes from two poles, pole one, pole two. Pole one's the original historical. Any Take any text, New Testament, Old Testament. You're going to start with the original historical message of that place that you're at, where it's Ecclesiastes or John or Revelation or Paul and Romans. Uh, but that pole one is inherently, um, historically and theologically, inherently connected to pole two. Uh, which is Jesus and his salvation. So no matter where you are in the Bible, uh, that word is inherently connected to the word himself. You, you can't miss that. So you can either read forward from the text, the original historical meaning, pull one, to Jesus, or you could read backward from the pull two to the text, and meaning flows both ways. So the way I like to talk about it in the, uh, in the book is that pull one, you're going to find the gospel threads that are inherently embedded in that text, not, not in the text. In that text, there are gospel threads inherently, historically, theologically embedded. There's a surplus of meaning in there, uh, and you're going to find those gospel threads and follow them all the way to pull two, Jesus and the salvation, or and or you're going to do both. You're going to put on a pole too. You're going to put on a gospel lens and look through Jesus and his salvation at pole one, at the text. And by reading forward or reading backward, you're going to find a textual Jesus. Um, that's the, that's the uh, framework of the method, basically. Or I, more of like the Bible's sixth sense. It's a way of seeing the Bible. And I believe that the... The t- Jesus reads the Bible that way. New Testament writers read the Bible this way. That's why everybody freaks out like, oh, the apostles, only they can read the Bible that way because mm-hmm. they were apostles. Uh, the answer is no, they're actually teaching us how to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Paul says it. Uh, Jesus says it. Jesus said to the religious leaders in John 5, you got Moses, the original historical meaning, you only have pole one. You, you didn't see that Moses wrote about me, pole two. And because you don't have pole two, you have interpretive failure, pole one. Paul says it. He says, listen, uh, there's a veil that exists when they read the Bible. Why? Because they have pole one, the original historical meaning, but they don't see that it's inherently connected to pole two. Uh, And it's only, as Paul says, the veil is removed by Jesus. So it's interpretive failure to think that only you could get the original historical message without knowing that that is inherently, inherently, divinely appointed and embedded, connected, correspondingly so to Jesus and salvation. Uh, otherwise, the, the Bible's not a Christian book. So, and, and, and just to, uh, you know, make it kind of on the ground clear, a thread a thread could be like a story where the two characters in the story, one of them forgives the other for some wrongdoing. Yes. Right. And so uh, this could be this thread where this whole theme of forgiveness, right. Becomes this really big deal. And then it becomes like a really huge deal when God forgives sinful humanity in Christ. Yes. And then we know that we live on this side of the gospel with the fullness of the gospel revealed in the person and work of Jesus. So now we're even able to read that same story again with even more clarity. Without a doubt. In light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Oh, oh, okay. This is what God was mm-hmm. doing and brewing all along. Yeah. Was this divine forgiveness. And he's, even as you're talking, I'm going, 
you know, it's only to against our credit. It's only it only shows our lack of understanding that we would assume otherwise. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about Israel uh, receives the Ten Commandments from Moses, right? Thunder, lightning, the presence of God. It's this insane experience receiving God's law. And they're already breaking the law in a myriad of ways before Moses gets down from the mountain. <laughs> it's only our foolishness to assume that, that, oh, the problem was they needed a really thick book of moral stories, and that would do it. Yeah. It's like, no, the, the mountain and the thunder and the presence of God didn't do it. Right. It's foolish for us to assume that what they really needed was like, oh, they need a story about these two people forgiving each other. And that's really, that's all that was on God's mind with the story was to help them forgive each other. Right. No, it, it, it makes far more sense to assume that, uh, that another story is being told. Like the, yeah. the law has not worked. The law didn't save us. The law didn't improve us. Um, and so we should probably assume that these, I, you know, I'm just thinking of, again, this, yeah. this story about so-and-so forgiving so-and-so, we should probably assume that it's first and foremost not trying to just God cross his fingers and go, hopefully they'll read this story and learn to forgive. <laughs> Maybe there's a bigger, better, mm-hmm. badder message that God is giving. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about, the last thing I'll say is I'm thinking about uh, Jay Gresham Machen. I think it was uh, Machen who said uh, something like, have you any good news? That's the question I ask of you. And so much of the time, Christians are taught to come to church saying, do you have any advice? Do you have any commands? Do you have any imperatives for me to um, finally get my stuff together? And yes, we need God's law. This is not going against needing God's law in the Christian life. But the ultimate question we need to be constantly asking of the Bible is, do you have any good news for me? I'm desperate for good news of something that's been done for me. And I think this this book and this content and teaching is is saying, here's how to be that kind of person. Here's how to be the kind of person that answers the deep question of our heart, which is, is there any good news out there? Because I'm not cutting it with all the advice, and I'm not cutting it with God's sin commandments, and I'm burnt out and dying. Is there any good news? Yes, there's good news. Amen. The book's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. The book's on Amazon for an affordable price. I think it's I think it's like 24, 25 bucks. Yeah. It's on Amazon. Um and it can be bought today. Yeah, I mean, I just got my first copy in the mail last night and uh woke up this morning and my wife was like, "It's on Amazon." <laughs> uh so it's on Amazon, you can buy it on there. Uh and then if you are a part of Redeemer here in Waco, uh probably mid end of May, whenever we get our shipment in, which we'll get a big shipment in, We'll sell them after church on uh, a Sunday, and uh, and we'll celebrate, and we'll have refreshments. You're a Shiner beer guy, and so yeah. I asked one of our staff, I said, hey, should we have like Shiner beer? And she's like, I think that'd probably be weird at like 11.30 a.m. after church. Oh, no, we can do that. Yeah, well, maybe. Like a six-pack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, pick up the book on Amazon. Uh, if you s- send it to your pastor with a little note that says, hey, I'm, I love your preaching, but I'm just trying to promote this book, okay? It's, this is an indirect, you know. Um, pick up the book, give it to a friend. Um, Jeff has no idea how he makes money off of it. This no. is not his get-rich-quick scheme. Dang. Um, uh, so pick up the book on Amazon. Uh, all right, next week we'll talk how, when, if to ever leave.